everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Unapologetically Different Podcast. This is Season 7, Episode 55. I'm your co-host, Key. And I'm your co-host, Coach P. And if you haven't already, make sure you check out Episode 54, Surviving R. Kelly, Part 1. We discussed the Lifetime Surviving R. Kelly docuseries, Parts 1 through 6. In addition, we reviewed the book Becoming by Michelle Obama. So make sure you go back and check that episode out. It was a really good episode. Yeah. Very intense. Seriously, um, I shed a tear during that episode. <laughs> this is true. And I'm glad we did it in that way to kind of break down the docuseries from part one to six. Because it seems like not a lot of people have watched it. Or some people have. And then they stopped at certain points. I noticed a guy on my Facebook, he said he had to stop watching it at some point. So I definitely feel like if you listen to the episode, you'll get a great summary of actually what took place and what happened. It's not as traumatic as watching a docuseries, but I mean, with the information provided, it kind of holds the same weight, to be quite frank with you. Yeah, definitely. I think it's very important to check out the docuseries if you haven't. Yes. Because there's so much information that you get to learn about it. Because anyone could have a daughter or a sister, a mother, a friend who can fall victim to these predators and perpetrators like R. Kelly. So I think it's just important to see what's going on out there. And it just helps you be better armed to see those signs as they're happening and actually being able to do something about it. So if you don't plan on seeing the actual show, definitely go back, listen to the episode. (laughs) Facts. I think also one of the points are like themes or nuances in the docuseries that we didn't really get to specifically or talk about as much and that we're going to really discuss this show is really the aftermath of the docuseries. I'm very disheartening by the commentaries that I've saw on social media. It seems like this is becoming a polarizing topic, especially within a black community pertaining to what transpired with R. Kelly. There's some people who are surprised. Um, some people are not surprised and then some people are like okay we know but I'm still gonna listen to his music and it's like I'm still gonna support they still gonna be twerking to his songs and I'm just kind of like that's interesting it's really sad and disheartening because it's like here you are these victims have come forward and some of them have considered themselves survivors and they're telling their story they're being completely honest and vulnerable and the way that people are commenting are like either slightly bashing them or criticizing them and it's just really sad to see the commentaries and I think one thing that sticks out to me more so is the concept of predators, especially within our community, and it's not discussed enough. I think with this docuseries, it brought a lot of things to light. It aired out the dirty laundry in the black community in a sense of a lot of topics and stuff was discussed. And one of the things I would say is the concept of predators and how we don't talk about it. And one of the viral posts I saw going around, even the actress Niecy Nash posted it on her IG page, Ain't no teenage girl fast enough to catch a grown man that ain't attracted to children. Let me repeat that because it was just so good. Ain't no teenage girl fast enough to catch a grown man that ain't attracted to children. Let that sizzle in your spirit. All right? Because let me tell you something. That's my new favorite line, by the way. Let that sizzle in your spirit. Uh, yes. Get it. Um, If a grown man ain't attracted to children, a teenage girl ain't fast enough to catch him. You know what I'm saying? And we got to talk about that. We really got to talk about how there are men out there, young boys who prey on young girls. And that has become a kind of a community thing. And it's not a problem. It's like it's kind of pushed under the rug. And then it falls on the girl. It's like, oh, she fast. You know, and that's the common perception of young black girls and um, girls of color growing up. She fast. Whatever she wearing, she fast. She got a, a grown man's attention. She fast. There's no attention really put on a grown man who's looking and preying on a young girl. Um, and I find that to be very sad, you know, and that has always been the case, whether it's in a church environment with pastors and let me get on those pastors, <laughs> no shade, no tea. I'm just keeping it a hundred. If it's in a home environment or it's, if it's among not necessarily family friends, but if it's like, even if you're going out to the public, if you're attracting grown men, it's like, she's a problem. What she got on. Even if you dress like a nun, you still a problem, you know, you fast. And it's just like. But there's never really a conversation or dissecting or critiquing why grown men are preying on young girls. And for me, I could speak to that because when this docuseries came out, me and my friends, we had a group chat about one of them asked, hey, have you guys ever been in a situation where you were younger and older guys try to attract you? And we all had different views on it. And, you know, a couple of us agreed that, yeah, I've had that experience. You know, for me, I could speak to that. When I was the age of between 13 or 14, I remember there was a 21-year-old dude that was very persistent with trying to get with me. Um... 
and he was really persistent. Like he Whoa. got my number, we exchanged numbers, and he said the right things. He was like, "You're really smart. You're different from the other girls I've met." So clearly, he has a pattern. But I didn't catch on at that age because I was just like, "Oh, he thinks I'm beautiful, and he's attracted to me." Um, and even though he was 21, he did look a little younger than what he was, but he was 21, and he had a two-year-old daughter. Don't give me that look. Like, <laughs> this shit ain't happening in the hood, bruh. Like, them dope boys don't be lo- lurking young girls. That's And that's essentially what it is. I was actually really thinking about when I was in high school. I used to be so annoyed when the girls that we liked in high school were dating, like, dudes in college. I was just like, these bastards. But you, But the thing is, the conversation is not, it's not they're pursuing them. It's it's reversed. Yeah, definitely. You know, but it's so common. You know what I'm saying? And then, like, for me growing up around the age of being a teenager, you know, you have, when we in schools and stuff like that, you got these dope boys on the corner. Some And they not boys. They young men, like 18, 20, 25, some of them in their 30s. And they position themselves around the schools and in those areas. And they prey on young girls. You know what I'm saying? So that's nothing, like, new. And so in my instance, I I was talking to a guy that was 21. Um, Luckily, it didn't go as far as it could have, but it could have went far. You know, I think he caught on at some point, like, all right, maybe this is not okay that you're within this age and I'm 21. And he had a two-year-old daughter. I think it probably hit him, like, how would I feel if she got to a certain point and dude was trying to pursue her? You know, but it's not something that's far-fetched. Like, and for me, too, growing up, when I was in high school, I went to Cardinal Spelman High School in the Bronx. Shout out to Cardinal Spelman. BX all day, every day. And <laughs> um, I was out there for high school, and I used to work in a mall in Mount Vernon. So Mount Vernon is like four-block radius. It's real small. <laughs> but it's, it's like considered Westchester County, but not really so much. But anyway, um, the way the public transportation was set up, and this was prior to me having a car, I used to have to take one bus to the second bus that would get me like in right in front of the mall. Now, I have to get like the first bus has to meet exactly when the second bus meet because the bus that goes to the mall comes like every 30 minutes or every 40 minutes. So I'm not sure if it's changed. It's probably still the same because it's the Bronx and it's Mount Vernon. But when I was going, it was a further distance. So it was like, if I did it that way, I'd be late for work. And this was like one of my first real jobs. So I was like, I was excited. I mean, I was just like, I'm not trying to be late for work for that. So I used to just walk to um, work from school mm-hmm. and it's a long path it'll, it'll probably be like for me i walk fast about 30 40 minutes or so but for me it was actually easier than having to wait on the bus and do all of this so i was just like whatever so i used to walk like the main path of sanford boulevard and this was my dilemma it was like you walk the main road you get cat call back then i didn't contextualize it as being cat call it was just common and dudes knew i was in my uniform you know, I may have looked a little bigger, you know, a little older because of my thighs and my butt had, you know, I was a little voluptuous, but I was still a young girl. It was obvious she's in a uniform. She's a young girl. So I used to walk the main road and my dilemma was, all right, walk the main road and get catcalled. And but at least if something happens, I have witnesses. You know, if anything was to happen, there's more than enough eyes to see. OK, now, if I walk on the inner blocks, somebody could snatch me, but I won't deal with catcalls. Because yeah. not it's not enough traffic. So I always walked on the main road. That shouldn't be a young black girl's experience. You know, and that was my experience. So when I was watching this docuseries and then thinking back to the situation about the 21-year-old and thinking about that, I was like, I was always preyed on. Whether it was guys that were in their early 18, 20s or it was grown men seeing me walk to school in my uniform. You know, and I'm, I had, my butt was big. And so my back of my skirt would pick up a little bit, but I had shorts underneath. But you didn't see much of anything because mm-hmm. it was still at a decent length. But the fact of the matter is I'm in the uniform, you know, I'm a girl. And you a grown man praying on me in a car and you think that's normal. Luckily, I did not feed into that. Yeah. But, you know... There are girls out there that does, and then they get judged, and they fast, and they this, and it's like, no. There there should be a conversation about why these grown men are preying on young girls. And I've never had those real conversations around heavy, but it was just kind of like to, this docuseries kind of brought me back where I was like, that wasn't okay. Those instances where I was catcalled wasn't okay. You know what I'm saying? And those conversations wasn't had enough. And I think that's what really, it did it for me. But to go back to the point of, if a grown man is not attracted to young girls, she's not going to be considered fast because you're not attracted to her to begin with anyway. You know what I'm saying? You shouldn't be attracted to young girls in any kind of way to begin with. And that should be deconstructed more 
than opposed to she's being fast, she's being this, she's being that. And then it's to me, it just you restrain a young girl from having any kind of freedom with herself or with her body. Because for you to say you got to dress a certain kind of way to get a certain type of respect, but then even if you dress that way, you could dress like a nun and dudes are still trying to pull for you. So it was... That kind of brought it up for me, and I'm glad my friends and I had that conversation pertaining to the group chat, but that was a conversation I had to have with people on social media. It's like, can we really talk about this? Because it was common in the hood growing up, and I'm sure it's still common now. It's still the hood. So, like, why we don't have those conversations? Why are we not holding those dudes accountable? Yeah, and it's funny that you bring that up because I, I mean, my brothers have and friends have had conversations about, like, We'd be at the mall and we'll see like white girls with like the booty shorts and they have butt cheeks hanging out. And I'm just like, yo, black girls cannot wear that. Like, and I just, I don't know if you've had that conversation with your friends, like where it's acceptable for different races to wear a certain type of clothing. But then if a black girl were to wear that, just like the stigma that she'd get on it because she may be thicker or just ha- may have more, more. I mean, they booty shorts, they will be thongs on us, real talk. And and I was just like, like that. We would even wear that because it'd just be all in the ass. But I know I see what you're saying. Yeah, and, and then it kind of makes me think about another issue that was brought up through this documentary docuseries in terms of just victim blaming and how these victims these victims are the one who are they're being attacked because of what happened and i just think that that's just i never understood that concept in terms of how are you attacking the person who is a victim in the situation and even with r kelly he's had a lot of women coming up supporting him and like i said people are saying they're going to continue listening to his music and they're saying these girls are fast or these girls put themselves in a position where they were to be seen by them. Like some of these girls were going to school. What are they supposed to do? Sneak out the back and run home. So just that whole. It was in a playground. Like you can't, if you can't be safe in a playground, bruh, and you can't be safe outside the premises of your school. Like that's ridiculous to me. Yeah. Like, yeah, nah. And then just when you partake in that concept of the victim blaming, you just leave someone like R. Kelly a predator. You give them the opportunity to be absolved of their sin and just continue doing what they're doing. So every victim that they have, it's you'll find some reason to just see that they were wrong. And yeah. and I think that's something that we really need to figure out. Like I don't understand where that's coming from. I don't know if it has to do with us being in a patriarchal society, so we're just trying to find ways to protect the man or or what the case may be. That's but, the majority of the case. Yeah, so that that's a really a really big issue. And then like what you said, um, in terms of just being a young girl and but being kind of perceived like as an older woman. Yes. Um, very common. Yeah. That in itself, I think, is just something common just in the black community, whether you're a young black man, young black woman, because of our skin color. And and honestly, to be frank, the darker your skin color is, the more of an adult or more of a threat that you can be considered. Facts. So I think a lot of times these girls could be 14, 15 years old. And just in general, the way the food's set up nowadays with all these <laughs> hormones, people, people are getting taller. <laughs> the way thicker. the food is set up nowadays. For real. People, See what <laughs> happened was. People, people getting thicker, taller, and just like, just growing and developing at a younger age than I think in the past. and But legal is legal and illegal is illegal. Exactly. So people, it is what it is, bro. People are taking that and using that as an advantage, not as an advantage, using that as a reason yeah. to, to justify them trying to go after someone who's a minor. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's crazy. It's, I think it's disgusting that the fuck I, I'm just thinking like, how are you? 14 15 years old like these uh, these kids they're not even developed they don't even know themselves and people like him that prey on them they start out at an early age for you know for strategic purposes and reasons for that matter but to your point about like girls versus women i think that's very true like i think it's black girls don't get the opportunities of being girls it's like a certain age where you perceived as a woman and you're still a girl you're still developing and understanding yourself um and I really think that we need to have those kind of conversations too. It's just be, I may be perceived or looked a certain way, but that doesn't mean that I'm not, and I'm not allowed to have that privilege of being a black girl, like being a child and, you know, being perceived as such and only that. And I think that's the problem. And I think at an early age, we take on so much too, which kind of enhances our maturity and our growth. And we think that we're grown and it's just like, "Mm." 
we still got a lot of learning to do. <laughs> um, and also to the point, it applies to black boys as well. Yeah, and I think a perfect example of that is Tamar Rice, where the cops who shot and killed him perceived him as a grown man when he was just a young boy playing with a toy gun. And it's it's sad because these like biases based on someone's yeah. skin color can literally determine life and death or someone living like a young girl having her childhood or becoming a victim of sexual abuse and it's fucked up but yeah that's something that we definitely need to like look at and deconstruct and actually deal with it and i just a quick point i actually i don't know if you saw the recent episode of blackish where yes. they were talking about colorism they was i saw that that and, was so dope and i think it kind of it relates to that again back to what i was saying mm-hmm. where the darker your skin is i think it gives you that boost in perceived age or perceived yeah. threat and it sucks that it is that way but I think the most important thing with anything that you're trying to change when you bring awareness to it and you actually are present to what's actually going on, um, that's how you're going to really make a change in it. Because a lot of times these things are automatically happening in our heads based yep. on the media and based on just what we've seen growing up. So when we ha- just having these conversations like this and bringing shedding a light to it, that's what's going to actually make a difference. So. Hopefully someone out there is hearing this and become aware of like bias that they may have operating in the background. Because even myself, I've I've experienced that before where if I step on a, a black person's sneaker on the train, <laughs> I'll be like, oh, shoot. Especially not in Brooklyn. Cause <laughs> yeah. Y'all wild crazy. Yeah. It'll be like, Yo. But then if it was like a, a white dude, I'd be like, damn, my bad. But I wouldn't think anything of it. And I think that just it's one of those biases that we have. So I think, again, getting present to it is the only way we're really going to make a change with it. Yeah, no, it's true. Um, Another aspect of like the aftermath of the docuseries is that Spotify streaming services for R. Kelly's songs like increased. Like I was very surprised by that. I was like, well, this is interesting. Um, They did say that there was an increase in a boost of his music being streamed. Were you surprised by that at all, Pierre? I was shocked. The fact that his music is getting played more because like, <laughs> it's like disrespectful. It's like a spit in the face. It's like, fuck your lives. <laughs> like black girl lives don't matter type it, shit. It, 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 I, it doesn't even make any sense to me. I'm like, his, granted, he does make good music, but with all these stories, all these these people that have come forward, and it's like so many people, like people who were in his camp, people were who who were complicit in the things he were doing, who yeah. were supporting and aiding him, are coming out and telling on themselves, saying we were doing this, but people are still. I don't even get how people can still sit there and just be like, well, I don't care. I'm still gonna rock with him and listen to his music, but. That makes you question people's morality if there's any left for that matter. Um, I was really surprised by it, but then again, I was like, you know what? At the end of the day, we're here now, especially pertaining to this, because it's like one of the young ladies said in the um, docuseries, it's like they didn't care because we were black girls. And to some extent, people don't care now because we're black girls. So the ones who are pushing the movement and making sure that people are heard and kind of made is black women. You know, there are black women supporting this. There's black women who's pushing for this. So we always said it's who got us, we got us. And um, to see that was, to me, was a spit in the face. But other things have taken place, kind of making up for the bullshit. So um, I kind of, with the Spotify thing, I was like, mm, that's interesting. Another aspect of the aftermath of the docuseries is that R. Kelly and his team created a Facebook page entitled Surviving Lies. <laughs> I <hate laughs> He petty white, bruh. But our, uh, the page first target was Ashanti McGee. Um, she was one of the victims in the docuseries. So the page insinuated that she and the father of the alleged current victim, Jocelyn Savage, are planning to extort R. Kelly. He went to extreme measures to post text messages between him and one of the young girls. She referred to him as daddy. So it was removed um, and Facebook shut it down. They said that the page violated our community standards and has been removed. But I think also, too, it's been removed because other people reported it through Twitter and they said that they were going to report it on Facebook as well. One of them is writer and speaker Jamila Lamo, who participated in the docuseries, reported to shut it down. Um, in addition to the co-executive producer, 
Also, Our Woman Crush Wednesday, Dream Hampton, she also took it a step further by calling out TMZ. She tweeted, I would like to know what kind of relationship TMZ has with R. Kelly and his management team. You produce a video of Jocelyn Savage where she's being off-camera directed by his team. You produce clips showing her shopping as evidence she was free. Who do you work for? Damn. That was some real shit, bro. (laughs) That's savage. I was really like, hmm, that's a valid point. It definitely is. What was your initial reaction to that, Pierre? When I heard that, I was just like, sh- I cringed because I'm like, that's true. They just happen to be there all the time. It's like when Superman is always in the same area that Clark Kent is. <laughs> At some point, you got to put two and two together. Like, yeah. oh, okay, maybe they're connected in some way. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, TMZ just happens to be have always get the inside scoop with R. Kelly and his girls. So... Are they getting paid by R. Kelly? Like, what's happening over there? No, it's true. Like, Seems I thought that was... <laughs> <laughs> nah, it's, it's funny how they're there at convenient times to make it seem like these victims are really free when, in fact, they're not. And I do think she made a valid point. I would love to get a follow-up from TMZ pertaining to that. Another victim has come forward. However, she was not a part of the docuseries. Her name is Tracy Sampson. She did an interview with NBC's Dateline. It is scheduled to air Friday night. So Tracy stated she was an intern in the summer of 1999. She was just 16 years old when she first met R. Kelly. She's 36 years old now. When she first met him, he asked her, can I kiss you? She said no. Then he asked for a hug, and while he hugged her, he kissed her anyway. They started a sexual relationship shortly afterward. She fell in love with him and did not think that what was going on was normal. And so she ended it when she turned 18 and filed a lawsuit against him that alleged sexual abuse on Kelly's part. So the suit settled in 2002 for 250000 He just likes to settle things out of court, yeah. like left and right, giving out settlements, like it's Poland Spring Water. Like Trump. <laughs> Yo. <laughs> I'm surprised Trump hasn't chimed in on this. Well, it's black girls. He's so too he busy buying Burger King and McDonald's for Clemson, my dude. Yeah, that's sad. <laughs> With the candlesticks, bruh. You know them fries was cold. Did you see? Did you, did you see the? Did you see the ten year? The ten year challenge. It showed Obama and um, and his staffers having dinner, just beautiful china, delicious looking meals, and then ten years later, it showed Trump with McDonald's. I was weak. Yo, he ain't shit, bruh. Yo, that's crazy. Oh. Wow. All right, we got to bring it back because this is real topics. Um, Back to Tracy. So, yeah, they settled out of court for 250000 Her story sounds very sim- similar to all the other women who have come forward in the docuseries. Um, I do hope other women come forward, too, and do interviews Um, because I don't believe all the women in the docuseries are all the women that he targeted and they were victims. De- definitely, he's a star. He definitely has a whole slew like a village. of people. Yeah. <laughs> hundred percent facts um so luckily aside from her other women are coming forward to tell their stories hopefully they come out in the boatloads like a whole lot um so i think that's really good and it's impactful to other women to not remain silent it sets a precedence you know and it's as a late great audrey lord stated your silence will not protect you and we actually posted that on our IG page as one of our quotes, so check it out. It will not protect you, and it won't protect anybody else. So, ladies, do come forward and speak your mind and tell your story as to what transpired between him. And also, too, as we stated, the hotline, um, sexual hotline, had increased its numbers, and we're going to be providing that information as well. Contact them if you've been through something personal on any kind of level so that you can get your story out and hopefully be liberated in some aspects. Other new development, according to the Billboard's Sources, Sony parted ways with R. Kelly as of yesterday, January 18, 2019. Damn. I like dropping an album. <laughs> hey, yo. Wait, you tell me his last track didn't pop? Yo, bruh. Apparently not, son. <laughs> they dropped him after all. So, subsequent to the docuseries, keep in mind, there has been several protests going on. The women's rights activist group called Ultraviolet even commissioned a plane to fly over Sony Music's Culver City, California offices, demanding the company to drop sexual predator R. Kelly from its roster of artists. Yeah, this was definitely a really big development and is huge because he, throughout the past what, two decades, he's been called out for sexual assault, sexual abuse, and he's just been making music and hiding behind this music. And even in the docuseries, they talk about how he kind of started making less, like, sexualized music and 
making songs like I Believe I Could Fly and yeah. performing more in churches. And all of this was very calculated on his part. And now it's like he's actually getting, feeling the backlash and dealing with the consequences of his actions and what he's been doing over the past 20 years plus. So in the early 1990s, R. Kelly initially signed to Jive, then it became part of Sony BMG. And in 2012, he signed a contract with the Sony subsidiary RCA. But following the docuseries, the label had mentioned they would hold off on releasing any new music. And several organizations had called for RCA to drop R. Kelly. The protests and docuseries caused them to finally make the decision. I'm getting goosebumps right now because it's like... You it's see what happens when action happens. And people say, oh, protesting ain't it. Protesting is it. You just got to keep going and being consistent. You'd be surprised how much shit could happen. I'm so happy. In my mind, I'm just like, yeah, you're right. We could we could stop um, pedophiles and sexual abusers, but we can't stop black people from getting shot. But I mean, we're going to get there. <laughs> we we going to get there. We got to still going, though. We can't give up hope. It's happening in some cases. Well, I mean, I gotta shake that off. I just went super dark and pessimistic out of nowhere. I don't even know where that came from. <laughs> he awoke ass. Um, but a summarized statement from Arisha Hatch, the managing director of campaigns at Color of Change, stated. After years of profiting from R. Kelly, despite their knowledge of his sexual abuse of black girls, Sony's RCA is finally acting. This move comes just two days after Color of Change and our partners brought our protests to the doorsteps of the label's headquarters. This is a huge victory for the survivors who came forward both in surviving R. Kelly and before, and all young black women who are systematically undervalued in our society. This victory belongs to the survivors of his abuse. Their brave testimonies played a critical role in pushing RCA to drop R. Kelly. Since 2017, when our campaign to hashtag drop R. Kelly began, over 80,000 Color of Change members raised their voices to hold R. Kelly and enablers like RCA accountable. We focused on RCA because for over three decades, the labor promoted and profited from music by a man who engaged in decades of sexual, mental, and physical abuse of black women and girls. Damn. Got him. That was yeah. a powerful statement. I loved it. Yeah, Every minute of it. It definitely was. And that was just like a summarized version of it. There was a bit more, but I definitely feel like it was really impactful. And as she stated, is to the abusers, it's because of them for coming forward, the victims and the survivors who really spoke their truth and were vulnerable. And I thank each and every one of those women because you have not only encouraged other women to come forward in relations to him, but in, during their own situations that's going on. And you know, I go back to... What message do we send to the younger generation? And, you know, my message is to say that your silence will not protect you to come forward. Speak your peace, you know, because you speak in your mind and talking about these incidents can make you be at peace with your life and your situation. And you shouldn't have to live your life in trauma or be caught up in those instances where they're dictating your every move and every step. And you can't be who you really are. You can't let these predators win at all. Point blank simple. Or abusers for that matter. So I that speech was definitely on point and I respect her for coming. I respect all the protesters for coming out and actually really doing something and playing a part in it. You know, that's important. It's a community thing, you know. The dirty laundry is now it. Now we gotta clean up the mess as a community. It's t for me with the RCA thing, I mean it was a long long overdue. Small victory in the right direction. You know, there's still more work to do because they have to pull his music from the streaming services, Spotify, iTunes, Tidal, Pandora. And, you know, speaking of that, Coach P, do you think these streaming sites will pull his music? Because if so, will it change the trajectory of other artists' music as well in terms of them being fully accountable for their actions? I don't know. I, I have no idea. I'm inclined to say no. That, that they won't pull it? That they won't pull his music. And the reason I say that is because as of right now, he hasn't been technically, um, he hasn't been, what's the word? Not a, He's been accused by plenty of people. I'm drawing a super blank. He hasn't been found guilty of anything, mm -hmm. even though we, we know, know. Yeah. yeah, the glove fit, bro. The glove fit, bro. <laughs> I just imagine. <laughs> OJ, OJ look at it. <laughs> Don't fit a quit. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I heard you. Um, yeah, he hasn't been actually found guilty in a court of law, so I don't see them actually taking down the music. And then I could just see people arguing like, well, if we're going to take down R. Kelly's music, what about 
drug dealers or other people who've done things that are illegal and their music. Well, more so rock and roll artists, too. There are white artists in different genres of music that he's... And that spoke about in the docuseries, too, which I like pertaining to like other artists you know who preyed on young girls right. like you know and it's a part of their music so it's like is it just going to be him or are you going to be pulling from other people or are other people going to be held accountable like where does it start and where does it end yeah that that is a big gray area but i wouldn't be surprised if they're going to pull it down for someone might as well be a black guy to start it off with <laughs> i said the trend somehow exactly you know how that go. Still waiting for Harvey Weinstein to go to jail. I mean, he's still, he's doing his part. You know, like his stuff, he's not a part of his business. And it's funny that you say that because someone tweeted something along those lines about black people always saying, you know, white people being held accountable. And then someone did write, like, they are being held accountable. Y'all just not paying attention because y'all too busy watching Love and Hip Hop. <laughs> 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 that caught me in my chest. I was like, yo, but. That sizzled in your spirit. <laughs> <laughs> fucks with you <laughs> but no like for real and and i was like they are being held accountable to some extent um i mean harvey weinstein he became a part of the me too movement you know like that when people saw and tarana burke even mentioned it who was the founder of me too movement you know she was like when the me too movement was on a rise you had the harvey weinstein where they were targeting and it was like but now we got to get what about r kelly all these years he's been doing that you know and I'm not saying your point is not valid. It is, but he is being held accountable for his actions. You know, he ain't running a sex cult, though. You know, with, with minors. Like, we got we got to really speak truth to this. Like, our county's on another level. He's his own lane by himself, bruh. Like, he's in his own, own lane. I can't even... I'm like, who to compare that to? That is true. Like, I don't even... I mean, the next person in line is Cosby. You know, at least they was like of age but look how that happened they woke up and he was there like it was like what happened from point a to point z my dude like how do we get here and he's serving time so you know what i'm saying like i'm saying people got to be held accountable i get what you're saying i mean to the point of the music and it being pulled the streaming site i think you made a valid point i don't think they're gonna pull it with the streaming sites and it would be great to see that but i don't how is that my question is how would that even go like how would that work like you know, and are they going to stop at him? Are they going to start, like, tackling other artists, too, and pulling their stuff? Or, like, yeah, I don't know. That that one is a slippery soap. RCA dropping him does set the tone, though. Yeah. that That's really set the tone, and that took a long time to happen, you know. Um, and then to me with the RCA thing is, like, are you doing it based off a morality issue? Or are you doing it because being woke is trending now and it's a thing, the Time's Up movement? Because at the end of the day you know y'all made the decision to still have him on board all of these years y'all knew what he was doing it wasn't a surprise what he was doing it wasn't like oh my god like y'all knew what was going on so you doing it now because people are really pressuring you and you know that it just looks a little off and then you may end up having to lose your artist a part of your roster because they probably like i don't want to be affiliated with that and then y'all not even backing it it makes as a woman artist who's doing really well in the industry if i was a part of rci i would feel a certain type of way like why would i be here being a part of this franchise or what have you and you supporting this artist so to me it makes me question why they doing it all of a sudden i mean it's a small victorina right step but it's one of those like you got to think about it you know but also too what's what's taking place is in a previous episode we mentioned that the cook county district in chicago has opened an investigation and we did provide the contact information for them so cook county state attorney kim fox has set up a special hotline for victims in cook county to call it's 773-674-6492 once again the number is 773-674-6492 and i had mentioned previously in the episode the national domestic violence hotline you can contact them their number is 1-800 hundred seven nine nine seven two three three once again the number is one eight hundred seven nine nine seven two three three coach p what's that website the website is www.thehotline.org forward slash is dash this dash abuse make sure you go check them out and a part of the investigation now which and now there's an investigation going on in Atlanta, surprisingly. So the Fulton County District Attorney Office has opened up an investigation in Georgia in relations to the docuseries. 
The investigators have reached out to Ashanti McGee, which is one of the victims in the docuseries, an attorney representing Jocelyn Savage family. In addition, anyone with any information regarding R. Kelly's former Atlanta home is reportedly being questioned. It's surprising now how they're pulling investigation because it's like in the docuseries, like they were begging for attention. These parents was like, especially Jocelyn Savage parents, is like, we need attention. We need people to focus on what's going on. And it's kind of like they was not getting the attention they deserve. And now it's like, and for order to, for them to follow through with this investigation, they need them now because of this docuseries. So the point that I'm trying to make is that protesting and speaking out matters and it definitely does make a difference. And this is why it was so impactful. Unfortunately, it took so many years for this to come aboard, but at least it's happening and people are talking about it. It's a conversation piece. Like this R. Kelly thing is going on for like more than a week now. And it's a discussion topic. Good, bad, or indifferent is happening on many levels and it's building awareness. And I'm just glad to see people come come forward and people utilizing their voice and people realizing the effects of protesting and docuseries, why they're so important in whether it's in today's day and age or in the future. These are why these things are important projects to be a part of because it really sets the tone and really gives you a visual idea of what people went through. You know, I thought this was one of the most troubling docuseries or documentary I have watched. I think the one before this was the 13 documentary where I was like, what the fuck? So um, that's definitely something to be mindful of and just keeping in mind these investigations are going on. So try to contact and reach out if you can. Now, Coach P, do you really think you could separate um, Robert the monster from R. Kelly, the music genius? Definitely not. In my opinion, they're one and the same. He's... He's he's a music artist, just in general, the way the music industry works, sexuality and all that is part of it, partying, nightlife. Like, the dude is going after underage girls for, like they said, over 20-plus years. So I can't imagine listening and supporting R. Kelly in any way, knowing that— So you ain't going to step in the name of love for your wedding? Huh? Hell no. I, hell no to that or hell no to getting married. <laughs> Back it up. <laughs> Listen, ma- marriage is a financial contract. All right, that's, go, that's we, for another episode. We, exactly. You know we're going to tear that up. I was going to say, we can have a whole Yo, a we'll whole have episode, a whole part two that. episode about one and two, bruh. <laughs> Fix that ass. But no, I feel you. Um, I, I don't, honestly, I'm going to keep it on. I haven't listened to R. Kelly in a very long time, in years, to be quite frank. It just, I never felt comfortable listening to his music, keeping in mind the child pornography tape. So I lost interest in him many years ago. So it's not a problem for me to pull, for them to pull his music. I don't care what musical genius he is. Um, I can't even look at, what's the song he produced for Michael Jackson? You Are Not Alone Anymore. I didn't know that from the docuseries because it was about the Latina chick that he was with that he got pregnant and she got an abortion. So it's just like, to listen to that, it's like, oh, it's about you. So um, I lost interest in him years ago, to be quite frank, especially with all of this going on. So it's not a problem for me. Music genius or not, you got to go. Can't separate the two. Um, You're one person. He needs to be fully held accountable for his actions. So now we're switching gears on a more positive note. Coach P's going to be dropping his wonderful gems. You know, we coming back with it. Start a new year right in sight with this one. Uh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so on this episode of Coach P dropping gems, I want to talk about gratitude. And practicing gratitude is something that is making waves in the wellness community for its lofty benefits. But you got to ask yourself, like, really, what is it? And the definition of gratitude is the quality of being thankful, readiness to show appreciation for and to return kindness. And now it seems like a really simple concept, but as with most things, it can seem simple, but when applied consistently, the benefits are amazing. And I want to start off by sharing some of the science-backed benefits of practicing gratitude. You know you got to drop that science. I know. I love science. So technical. (laughs) Jeez Louise. So first one is gratitude blocks toxic emotions such as envy, resentment, regret, depression, etc., Dr. Robert Emmons is a professor of psychology at UC Davis, California, and a leading gratitude researcher. And he's conducted multiple studies over the years between the link of gratitude and well-being. And his research confirms that gratitude effectively increases happiness and reduces depression. And before I go into, like, the next the next benefit, I actually had a really great 
experience when it comes to practicing gratitude actually right around New Year's because I think it's one of those things like people can talk about yeah you got to be grateful it looks good as an Instagram caption and and quote and stuff double tap baby double <laughs> yeah. tap yes but like actually there's a big difference between actually practicing something or talking about it like and really experiencing it and I was having a conversation with a friend and he was just talking about where we're at in our lives, how a lot of people in our community that we grew up in didn't make it to this point. Either people passed away, people were killed, went to jail. Right, exactly. So he was just really getting me present to how lucky we are and how we're giving back to our communities in different ways, being able to support and help our families. And I was just like, at first I'm like, bro, I'm just trying to drink. It's New Year's. I'm trying to chill right now. <laughs> trying like, to turn up. Yeah, like, what are you talking about? I don't want to hear this. But then after a while, I was just like, wait, damn, you're right. And it it started to feel really, really good. And I was, it just was like an aha moment for me. It was just like, wait, this is what, like, practicing gratitude feels like. Cause I felt like regardless of all the negative stuff that has happened in my life or what issues I might be dealing with during during any given day, when I got really present to how lucky I am and what I've been able to accomplish, what difference I've been able to make for other people, how people have supported and made a difference in my life, yeah. I just felt like, I felt amazing. I was just like, this feels great. Of course you do, because I made a lot of difference in your I know, life. I, I mean, just I, call it for what it is. I Key appreciate is here. you, Mom. Key has done I a lot. I appreciate you. Keep the compliments coming. <laughs> I'm about to start twerking. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that that experience right there was really eye opening for me, and it made me realize like I've talked about gratitude in the past, and I understand it conceptually. But when you actually really take time to stop and actually put those in, put that into practice on a regular basis, you'll really see the benefits. And I'll I'll get into that in at the end of the this segment mm-hmm. to give you some ways you can practice gratitude. But let me jump back into some of the benefits. So. Grateful people are actually more resilient to stress. So for years, research has shown that gratitude not only reduces stress, but it also may play a major role in overcoming trauma. A 2003 study published in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology found that gratitude was a major contributor to resilience following the terror attack in September 11. And recognizing all of that, you have to be thankful for even the worst time fosters resilience. The next benefit is gratitude strengthens social ties and self-worth. According to the 2014 study published in Emotion, the study found that thanking a new acquaintance makes them more likely to seek an ongoing relationship. I thank you every friggin' time you do something that you're supposed to do, so I guess that's the reason. <laughs> I'm surprised you ain't bold that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I need positive reinforcement, Key. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Heard you. Coach P needs love. No, but you told me that before, and I was like, you know, I'm just going to thank him anyway because that's what's going to keep him going. Um, so another- Child, <laughs> I don't know what I go through. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Keep that behind scenes. Keep that behind closed doors. Heard you. Um, so gratitude also improves your physical health. Grateful people experience fewer aches and pains and report feeling healthier than other people, according to a 2012 study published in Personality and Individual Differences. That sounds like some mushroom benefit. Though that's it. The thing is, <laughs> the opposite of like gratitude is like when you're stressed out. Like that's that's a one of the opposite well, yeah, emotions. Yeah, you say it like that. And when you, when you think about it, when you're stressed out, your body it manifests itself in your body physically all the time. Whether it's headache upset stomach joint pain i be want to eat fast foods when i'm od stressed right and because these these emotions will have real physiological effects on us so the same way stress yeah you like that (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) i was just thinking about the jill scott no 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 no, the uh, the interview with Kodak where he was on the <laughs> Breakfast Club. I don't know if you've seen the clips online. Nah. They, they were like I saw the Ebro one when he walked out. I was like, damn, bro, that was a short interview. <laughs> but they they asked him like, yo, do you think she's gonna be the one? And he was like, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I'll show you the clip after this, but it's mad funny. But you're like, you like that? You're like, yeah. It just reminded me of that. Mad random. Oh my god. Bringing it back. Always. Bringing it back. <laughs> um. So yeah, it's the same way. Stress is very detrimental to your health. Practicing gratitude can actually be beneficial to your physical health. 
So I have two more benefits. The next one is gratitude enhances empathy and reduces aggression. <laughs> cough, cough. Um, All right, yeah, cough, well, cough. What? Well, reduces aggression for who? I'm just saying. Yeah, that's and a hell of a cough. <laughs> Don't play with me. It's the winter time. Uh, yeah, okay. It it's, ain't winter it, in here. It's food season. <laughs> you ain't shit, <laughs> bro. Subliminals heard you. On this mic. Heard you. <laughs> nah. um, grateful people are more likely to behave in a pro-social manner, even when others behave less kindly, according to a 2012 study by the University of Kentucky. Study participants ranked higher on gratitude scales were less likely to retaliate against others, even when given negative feedback. They experienced more sensitivity and empathy towards other people and decreased the desire to seek revenge. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And finally, grateful people sleep better. According to a 2011 study published in Applied Psychology, Health, and Well-Being, spending just 15 minutes jotting down a few grateful sentiments before bed and you may sleep better and longer. That's nice. Yeah, according to Noel did that. We yeah. spoke about that in the interview. Exactly. Yep. Because just like it, it it's crazy. These things they're such simple concepts, but with anything, consistency over time, you're gonna really see the benefits of it. Yeah. So now you may be asking yourself, these benefits sound great, but how do I actually start practicing gratitude? So I'm gonna give you guys a few practical ways you can start practicing gratitude today. So one, you can start a gratitude journal where you jot down three to five things you're grateful for each day. And it doesn't have to be at any given time. You can just any time throughout the day, just take the moment and write down something that you're grateful for. Another thing is pausing before you eat any of your meals and just take a quiet moment and be mindful before digging in because the food that you're about to be eating, it's going to sustain you, keep you maintaining life and just really be appreciative and thankful for, for the people who prepared the food and then just what it's providing you. And I think a lot of people can relate to being hangry and realizing when they yes. don't have food in their stomach, how that really affects them. So. When you just take a moment right before each meal, whether you're religious and you do it as a prayer or mm -hmm. you just stop and say, like, damn, I appreciate this food. It's about to keep me going for the rest of the day so I won't have to lose it on people at work. <laughs> <laughs> Facts. Um, another one is create a gratitude jar where you place small handwritten moments you're grateful for into the jar. And you can view that at the end of the week, month, year, etc. And I, I really like that one as well because it's very, it's not, it's not very rigid. Anytime you find something that you're grateful for and you can easily just go back and reference it. It's kind of like a little surprise where you can look back. Me getting up is me being grateful. Yeah. And I, I'm, glad, up. I'm glad that you said that because I was actually the next one. Every morning when you wake up, start off the day by saying thank you for the, just the gift of being yeah. alive. A lot of times we wake up and the first thing we do is we grab our cell phone yep. or go straight to the television. But if we really take a moment to just stop and just say, wow, I woke up, that's, that's mm -hmm. a good way to practice gratitude. Another thing you can do is you can write a kind review for a podcast. <laughs> cough, cough. <laughs> <laughs> cough. Unapologetically different. Let me fill in that cough for you. <laughs> <laughs> Us. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but on a serious note, yeah, if you if you follow certain creators on social media, podcasts, whatever the case may be, just taking the taking a few minutes out of your time to just leaving a note, leaving a review. And you can definitely do that on our page as well on iTunes. We would love if you took a few minutes to go rate and subscribe and leave a comment on the podcast because People who are doing these things, whether it's putting out a podcast, putting out content on social media that you like, it really makes a difference for people when they get these kind words from their followers and just also just getting feedback in general. And we're grateful for comments. So, you know, by you doing that, we're grateful that you're posting. So it's like you're killing two birds with one stone, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and just two more ways to, that you could practice gratitude is when times are bad, focus on the friends who are at your side being there to support you. I really like that one because like, where your focus goes, your energy flows. And when things are bad for people and they're dealing with stuff in their life, it's so easy to just get caught up in really thinking about the issues that you're dealing with. Yeah. But if you're able to think about like, oh, 
like he's been here for me she's holding me down like i'm really lucky to have someone that's going to be there and help me deal with the problems i'm going to it just puts you in a different frame of mind to help you get over whatever issue you're dealing with and finally when times are good actually step back notice that for yourself and then use that time energy and space that you're in to Mm -hmm. try to make a difference for other people Mm -hmm. because you really you're getting present to that things are going good for you and you can make that difference for other people when you're really present to that so those are just a few ways that you can start practicing gratitude today and again it's so simple so easy but when you practice it over a extended period of time, you're going to really see those benefits and just change in your overall health, well-being, personality. And it's, it's really important. So I want to provide you guys with some books you can check out to help you learn more about gratitude, the benefits, and some applications. So one is Words of Gratitude for Mind, Body, and Soul by Dr. Robert Emmons and Joanna Hill. Another one is The Psychology of Gratitude, again, by Dr. Robert Emmons and Michael McCallow. Next book is Thanks, How the New Science of Gratitude Can Make You Happier by Dr. Robert Emmons. He got a lot of books. Yeah, he's made it his life work to just really focus on the benefits and the the applications of gratitude. We got it to a book list. Definitely. Yeah, that's actually a great idea. I know, I'm just so smart. Look at me. It's gratitude. It's just, you know, it's doing something (laughs) to my brain. (laughs) Love it. Um, A Simple Act of Gratitude, How Learning to Say Thank You Changed My Life by John Kralik. The Gratitude Diaries, How a Year Looking on the Bright Side Can Transform Your Life by Janice Kaplan. And finally, Gratitude by Oliver Sacks, a short summary. Now, I appreciate you mentioning the books, but I need to get some of them apps. You know, we live, we live in an instant gratification world right now. Some people don't like to read. So um, if you could just kind of let me know about those apps and how quickly we can utilize those. We will definitely use one of the books as our book review, um, Coach P is going to select that, of course. Yeah, so I love that you said that because technology is so prevalent in our lives today. Yeah. So, And I'm a really big proponent of using that technology to your benefit. So I got four apps that you guys can download to start practicing gratitude today. So the first one is Grateful, a gratitude journal, which is an iPhone app. Another one is Happify for stress and worry, also on iTunes for Apple. And Bliss Grateful Journal for Android users. And finally, Flavor, also on the Android App Store. A little mixture. Yeah. Okay. Combination. Apparently, people still use Android. I don't know what's going on. I know. 2019. This is a disgrace to society. (laughs) No no shade. No shade, no tea. But, yeah, guys, establishing an attitude of gratitude can be a life-changing practice. And we'd love to hear from you guys on how you practice gratitude. And if you're just starting out, we'd love to hear what your experience is as a result of your new gratitude practice. Yes. Thank you, Coach P, for all of them gems dropping about gratitude. It definitely makes me think differently. And I want to utilize one of those practices and actually tie it into what we had mentioned with Courtney Noel when we did the interview in our previous season about um, she definitely writes down a, a list of things that she's grateful for prior to going to sleep. So I would definitely try to utilize one of those because I'm going into this year, I'm trying to change things up. And I feel like it resonates with everything I do on a personal, professional level. So Thank you for dropping those wonderful gems, Coach P. What would we do without you? Oh, stop it. Aww. Aww. So I love out here. <laughs> um, so once again, guys, thank you for tuning in. Make sure if you haven't done so already to purchase our ringtone playing in the background all silky smooth. You can do that at the Tune Store for Android users. And if you're an Apple user, you can do that at the iTunes Store. And you please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at unapologeticd underscore. And you can make donations to our Patreon account by searching unapologetically different. And finally, you can find all our shows on iTunes, SoundCloud, and now Stitcher by searching unapologetically different. Stay tuned for our next episode. Bye.